Well, this morning I feel led for us to take a brief break from our series, You've Got Questions, He's Got Answers, and we'll come back to that in a, in a couple of weeks. But I want to share with you a message that's on my heart from the book of John. I first thought I was supposed to share this tonight, but the Lord said I want you to share it this morning, and then we'll go into part two tonight. But I, I want you to grab your Bible and turn with me to John chapter 4, and then uh, once you find John chapter 4, turn a few pages and put another finger by John chapter 6. We'll be in both of those passages this morning, John chapter 4 and John chapter 6. I've got some friends who are going to be helping me here in just a moment, but as they get set up and get pulled together here, I, I want to warn you about something. I, I think sometimes we could be really close to something powerful and we could miss it. It was in the early 80s. I was in Denver, Colorado, uh, living there with my parents as, as my parents were uh, one of the pastoral team there at Denver First Church, the Nazarene, and, and Billy Graham was coming to preach a crusade at Mile High Stadium. Now, what made me say yes in that statement when I was a child was Mile High Stadium. I didn't really know who Billy Graham was. I knew my parents were excited about him coming to speak or something like that. But that's where the Denver Broncos played. And I said, I'll go. And my uncle and aunt were going. And and so I went with them as my parents had other obligations at night. And it was my first time to be at a crusade with Billy Graham speaking. And they had some music that was quite interesting. And I found myself needing to go to the restroom, which was an excuse to go explore the stadium of the Denver Broncos. So I whispered to my uncle as I was already leaving the row, really informing him, not asking for permission, and I made my way up those stadium steps, out into the hallway, and I began to see the lighted signs that said nachos and coke, hot dogs, all kinds of things were screaming out my attention, and and I thought, well, this is the best church I've ever, ever been to. Why don't we have this at home, church? We should sell concessions in the foyer. It would be amazing. And so I began to walk up and down that stadium looking for one of the concession stands that was open. And and I wasn't sure that all of them were closed. The ones that I saw were closed, but surely I could find one. And so I made my way all the way around that stadium. And then I went to the top and I went all the way around. I thought, well, maybe at the bottom. Went to the bottom and went all the way around. And once I had decided that every single concession stand was closed, I thought, this has been a long bathroom break. I better get back to my uncle. And when I was making my way back to my seats, I saw that most of the people who were sitting around me were now on the field of that football field praying with Billy Graham, and I had missed everything that he said. I didn't really care too much because I was excited about being in the stadium of the Denver Broncos. And so I went home that evening, and my dad said, how was it? I said, it was great. He said, what is it that you heard Billy Graham say? Uh, uh, it was great. I had nothing to share. I missed it. I was feet away from an awesome message that maybe God wanted to use in my heart, but I was more concerned about nachos and hot dogs and the Denver Broncos and the setting that was there that I missed everything. My prayer this morning is that we would wake up and not be so close to a word that we're going to hear in Scripture that I'm afraid in our, our own humanness, unintentionally sometimes, We can allow our mind to wander and drift and think about this and that, and we can miss what's right before us. So to help us, I want to invite you to take your Bible, turn to John chapter 4, and I have some friends who are going to help me here as they are going to be looking at John chapter 4, 1 through 38, then they're going to skip over to John chapter 6, 25 through 40. Now if you don't have your Bible with you, take your phone and navigate to that passage, get out your, you know, 
uh, version Bible or whatever you use, or look to the screens, it'll be there. But let's listen and let's press in and not miss what it is that I think the Lord may have for us. John 4, 1 through 38. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir... Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews, you claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit And in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked What do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. 
Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Jesus had just miraculously fed the 5,000 people out of just five loaves of bread and two fish. The next day, the crowd that was left behind went looking for Jesus. John 6, 25 through 40. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate and the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. But it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up. At the last day. Heavenly Father, I ask that you will allow my, my words and the meditations of our hearts to be pleasing to you today. Jesus, I pray that you'll help us not just hear your word, but would you help us be doers of your word, be obedient to your word, to be fed and sustained by your word. In your name we ask these things. Amen. Pastor Brady, that's a lot of scripture. What are you doing? You just went crazy. Don't you know we're supposed to only take like just one sentence and don't take any of it more? That's too much. Well, I halfway apologize. I should have warned you that we were going to drink a little bit of living water from the fire hydrant. But let's dig in a little bit deeper. Now, as as I tried to warn you, sometimes uh, unintentionally or sometimes intentionally we find ourselves inches away from a powerful message walking around the stadium of our environments looking for something to snack on when there is something tremendous right in front of us, as I did in an early 80s, 80s gathering there at Mile High Stadium. Uh, let's dig a little bit deeper into God's Word. There are three key verses in this big chunk that we read that I believe God wants to highlight for us today. And the first of them is this. It's in John 4, the 13 and 14. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. 
Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Food, water, these are so basic yet so important of our needs for survival. I don't think that Jesus accidentally stumbled upon these word pictures of living water and the bread of life. I believe that Jesus intentionally chose these words, not just for the original hearers, but for you and I today as well. As we look at this, I want to remind us of some interesting facts about water, take you back to fifth grade science class possibly. What does water do for you? Well, the water is needed by your brain, and it manufactures hormones and neurotransmitters. Without water, you wouldn't be able to do that. Water helps regulate the temperature of your body. Water acts as a shock absorber for your brain and for your spinal cord. It helps convert food that you consumed into nutrients so you can survive. It helps deliver oxygen to your entire body. Water allows the body's cells to grow and reproduce and allows you to survive. It helps flush out waste from your body. Water will lubricate the joints and prevent damaging friction from your body. Water is the major component of most of the parts of your body. I don't think that Jesus just stumbled upon water as a way to talk about what he had come to offer. The parallels here are very significant. The life that Jesus brings will affect every part of our being. It's it's intended to seep into every organ of your being, every system of your being, every function that you have. Water, without it, in three days, you'll die. You begin to die after three days without having water. I don't think it's an accident that Jesus chose water to illustrate the point that he was trying to make. Without the living water he gives, we find ourselves in spiritual death as well. And water, when it's fresh, when it's cool, it is so good. It is so refreshing. It's not just nutrients that you take in. It brings joy. It is, it's an awesome resource to have. Water is not only necessary for life, but it can also be a delivery mechanism for joy. So let's look back at verse 15 again together. Chapter 4, verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw this water. Dig in with me. The woman here, she misunderstands Jesus, and she thinks this is a way to get out of her workload. When Jesus offers her this living water, her first thought is, okay, I'd like to have water that never, ever leaves me thirsty again. I've got enough chores around the camp to do. I don't want to have to go to every day to draw water. Give me this water. It would help my workload. She totally misunderstands what Jesus is saying. Let's look back again and see what Jesus is actually saying to her. Verse 13, Jesus answers, everyone who drinks this water becomes thirsty again. But here's what Jesus says. Look at number three. Jesus says that the source of life you come to daily, it will never truly satisfy you. See, Jesus is saying what you're depending upon as your source of life, it will never, ever, ever satisfy you the way that you hope it will. But he continues in verse 14, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus is here teaching this woman, is offering her something much more than what she thinks he is talking about. And number four here, Jesus is saying this living water will do something in a person. 
And when he's doing something in a person, that's where this never-ending spring is coming up. And it's welling up to eternal life. Okay, Brady. I'm glad you're excited about that, but wow. What, What does this really mean? Why, why should I be concerned about Jesus talking to a woman about living water? Why is this important? Hang with me. Dig in a little bit deeper. Don't miss this powerful message that's inches away from us. We could get distracted on other things. But press in with me. I invite you in. I believe Jesus has something for you today in this. Let's look at the second verse. The second key verse is in John four thirty four. We already heard it in context, but let's hear it again. Jesus says, My food, but Jesus is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. That's a key verse I want us to to chew on. But as we chew on this, let's remind ourselves what prompted Jesus to say this. Let's back up to verse 31. Look in your Bibles there. uh, John 4, 31. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then the disciples looked at each other and they said to each other, Could someone have, have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. Key thought here. The disciples also misunderstand the food that Jesus was talking about. The woman at the well was not alone. Once again, these people misunderstand Jesus. Jesus wanted to teach them, teach them something that was so powerful, something that was, that was similar to what he said to the woman at the well. It was about nourishment. It was about life. It was about satisfaction. It was about the strength that he could give. You see, these two accounts, they're connected together. I believe Jesus is teaching his disciples and saying, Guys, you're worried about food. Your stomachs are saying, it's, it's time to eat. There's something crying out inside of you. We need to eat, so Jesus must need to eat. But, but ministering to this woman at the well, that's, that's like food for my soul. Guys, I have a food that you don't understand of. I have a nourishment that you don't get. I have a strength source that, that, that you don't know of. I'm touched, guys, that you're concerned about me staying fueled up. I'm concerned. I'm touched that you're concerned that you, you want me to be healthy. Guys, you need to learn something. My food, Jesus says, my source is much deeper than just physical food. And much deeper than just physical water. Second, what nourished and sustained Jesus, what was his food? It was to obey the Father. What nourished and sustained Jesus was to obey the Father. Obedience to the Father's will was what nourished and sustained him. That's what fed him. That's what gave him hope. You see, Jesus gets very specific If we don't look close, we could miss this tremendous gift that I believe Jesus has for you and for me today. He's saying, guys, the way I keep from getting depleted, the way I have strength to go on, what keeps me going is when I'm obedient to the Father, to His plan. That's my strength. That's my satisfaction. That's my purpose. That's my food. Third, Jesus points out this miraculous missional opportunity before them as a source of life. It could... Look like Jesus just takes a left turn out of nowhere here in these few verses in verse 35 through 38. Jesus begins talking about a harvest and begins talking about his purpose. And and we're going to talk a little bit more about that tonight. But what Jesus is basically saying is, number four, hey guys, when, 
when I'm ministering to the woman at the well, that was food for my soul. All the harvest out there, all the work that God has prepared for us, it is like food waiting for you to digest and eat and be sustained on. That's what feeds me when I do the will of the Father, and what will sustain you is when you obey me. That's what Jesus is teaching. Hey, Brady, I'm trying. I'm working at this. There's a lot of words. You're saying a lot of things. There's a lot of scripture here. But, but friend, press in with me. Let, let's go a little bit deeper. I, I think, Brady, I, I'm, I'm catching some of it. I think I'm hearing what you're saying, but it's a little bit fuzzy. I, I'm not quite excited about it the way you're excited about it. It's a little bit fuzzy for me. Well, let's, let's look at this final key verse, John 6, 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now remember, we just heard this in context. Jesus had just finished feeding the 5,000. He fed them. And when he fed them, he did this miraculous feeding of them. And Jesus tells those who come looking for him, you are only looking for me for what you think you can get from me. That's what he says in verse 26. Very truly I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the, the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. This is really important. Don't miss this. Jesus is saying, hey crowds, I know you've come looking for me. You loved it when I fed your belly, when I multiplied all this food and miraculously fed you. But, but now you seek what I can give you more than you seek me. And Jesus says, don't waste your life working for food that will rot but seek the nourishment that will last forever. Verse 27, that's what he says. Don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. He is teaching on this same key thought again. It's all tied together. This living water, this bread of life, it's, it's starting to come together. Can you see it? Don't waste your life working for things that will pass away. Seek me, Jesus says. I am your source of life. I am the bread of life. I will give you living water. It will be in you and it will spring up life, eternal life. And then just on cue, it's almost comical, <laughs> the disciples, once again, miss it. They're off on a path looking for nachos and hot dogs when there's a powerful message right in front of them. Once again, the disciples misunderstand the food that Jesus was talking about. And here's what they say in verse 34. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. They're like saying, okay, Jesus, give us the bread equivalent of Willy Wonka's everlasting gobstopper. Have you read Willy Wonka's book or you, you've seen the movie of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? This candy and this mythical story of the everlasting gobstopper the piece of candy that never ever disintegrates and you can suck on it forever and ever and ever and it never goes away and the kids would just take it out of their mouth and put it on the the, the bed post and the next morning put it in their mouth again and it'd be great that's what comes in my mind when i read the disciples saying this well give us that bread it's jesus i would love to have that bagel that i could take a bite of and as soon as i take a bite of it whoop that hole fills in. The bagel never goes away. I can just keep eating. They're thinking, that'd be awesome. It'd make my pack lighter. We could travel. I'd just have my everlasting gobstopper bread, and I could just chew on it, and it would be great. Now, before we just think these disciples are absolutely crazy, remember, they just watched Jesus feed 5,000 people. They were so primed to see the supernatural because they just saw Jesus do it. But Jesus says, you're thinking too small. You're, you're thinking about this 
bread as this everlasting gobstopper bread that you could just have as a good tool to have. But I am your life. I am your source. I am your hope. Jesus spells it out. I am your source of life. Only I can satisfy you. Verse 35 again. Then Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And there it is. Plain and simple before us. Yet it's so profound and so powerful. Jesus says to the woman at the well, It's me. Your hope is in me. You don't get it yet, but look, I am your source. Jesus says to his followers, I am the living water. I am the bread of life. I will sustain you. When you obey me, when you accept me, I will feed you. This is is my purpose. This is why I'm here. But it's not only my purpose. It's your purpose. It's what you were created for. Every other way of life, every other way to do this will leave you in waste. It's a waste of your life. It ends in death. Now Jesus doesn't say, now as long as you agree with me in your mind, if you agree that I exist, Jesus doesn't say, just start going to temple more with me. Jesus doesn't say, just sign my political petition and, and help me get in power. No, he says, the living water I give, it will spring up inside of you. Something in you, friend, should happen. There is some life that should come up inside of you because of what Jesus is doing. It will consume you, all of you, what you think the living water will slosh around in your spiritual being, and it will protect your brain from what it is you're thinking. What you take in, the living water will aid in the digestion of what you take in. It will separate waste from nutrients, and it will begin to bring health into your life. Your entire makeup will be saturated with the living water of His eternal life. I have food, Jesus says, that you don't know of. It doesn't make sense. It's so different. It's better than anything you can dream of. When you love me, when you obey me with your life, with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, I will be all that you need. Everything else will be wasteful. Okay, Brady, I'm kind of starting to see it. Not quite as fuzzy. Kind of seeing a little bit here. But what does this have to do with me? Why is this important for me? Why is this worthy of me not going into the hallway looking for nachos and hot dogs because this thing's getting long? Get to the point. Friend, I've got a few questions I want to ask you. Because this word here in John is not just for them a long time ago. It's for you and me right now today. What have you been feeding on? What has been your source of life? Not just what you believe in your head. Not just what you do to keep you busy. But, but what do you feed on? What do you meditate on? What do you focus on? What do you spend your time and your energy and your resources on? Not what you used to do it with, but what right now, currently, in this season of your life. What are you feeding on? What is your source? Are you feeding on money? Are you feeding on success? Are you feeding on acceptance? Are you feeding on that relationship with your husband or with your wife? Are you feeding on that relationship with your boyfriend or your girlfriend? Are you feeding on that relationship with your kids, with your parents? Are you feeding on that stockpile of security that you've built up, whether it's financial or whether it's emotional or whatever it may be? Is that what you're feeding on? Is that what is your source that you're drawing upon? Or are you 
Are you feeding on your pain? What's driving you is that wound in your life. What you're feeding on, is it possibly rejection? Are you feeding on your fear? Are you feeding on your loss that is so big in your life right now? Are you feeding on that boredom? It is that deafening boredom. You are so bored with your life right now, and that's what you're consuming yourself with. That's what's driving you. That's what you're feeding on. Are you feeding on your doubts? Are you feeding on your anger? What's feeding you? What is driving you? Friend, another way to get at this is ask yourself, what do you keep going back to for satisfaction? Do you keep going back to some of those positive things? Oh, I love Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I'm a Christian. I I, I want to be obedient to Him. But really what I keep going back to is my wife. What I keep going back to is my husband. What I keep going back to is my job. What I keep going back to is that pain. What I keep focusing on is that, that such deep wound in my life. It's my anger. What am I going back to? Where is the satisfaction of rehearsing that hurt or the satisfaction of of reveling in that resource? There's no real satisfaction, no lasting satisfaction, Jesus says, except for Him. Is Jesus your living water this morning? How saturated are you How saturated is your entire being with the living water of Jesus? Just like physical water is vital to every part of our body, if I would only keep water in my pinky, I would die. We we think sometimes that I'm going to, I'd like to have some Jesus, some living water. I like an idea of a a well that would spring up and I could have this eternal life that would be good, but just stay right here in my hand. Leave my wrist and arm alone, Jesus. That's mine. And I try to compartmentalize it could it be could it possibly be that some of the malfunctions in your life are due to being spiritually dehydrated we get it physically when we are without water it begins to affect our brain and it can affect our kidneys and it can affect every organ in our body and and poisons begin to build up and all kinds of things happen and you can say well i've taken a bath i've i've gargled water in my mouth and then i spit it out I've been around water, but but until we are saturated with water, physically we struggle. Spiritually, Jesus is saying, hey, hey, I'm on purpose choosing for you to see this word picture of living water and the bread of life. I am your very nourishment. I am your source of life. Could it be that some of the malfunctions in your life are due to being spiritually dehydrated? Do you just seek Jesus for what he can fill you with temporarily? Just like those who saw Jesus feed the 5,000 and you go, oh, it was so good. Are you just seeking Jesus for the spiritual goosebump that you get sometimes when you come to church? Oh, I hope Pastor Edgar sings my favorite song today. I hope there's a rhythm and a rhyme and a flow that makes me feel excited and I just can just have a great day. I hurt my leg doing that. That wouldn't be a good thing. Ouch. Don't try that. It's not a good thing. Sometimes we, we just, Lord, give me that spiritual goosebump. And hey, friend, I'm not making fun of having an emotional experience with the Lord. When there's motion, there's emotion. But if all of I want is a spiritual goosebump, then I say, Jesus, just give me a spiritual snack. I don't want you to be my source. Just, just feed me right now. And he says, guys, expect the supernatural. Expect the goosebump spiritually. But, but I'm here. I am the bread of life. I will give you living water. You will die without it. Do you see it? Or do you say, just give me what I want. Give me what they have, Jesus. In fact, give me all of it right now. So much of it that I feel like that I'm in control. 
I don't like you stringing this out, Jesus. I have to keep coming back to you. So why don't you give me a stockpile of it? I'll manage it, and I'll just make sense of it. Friend, wake up. The living water, the bread of life, is knocking at your door today. And he is saying, I have so much food for you. Food that you may know nothing of. But it will be your source. It will give you purpose. It will give you energy. It will give you joy. We've been talking about who Jesus is today. We've been looking at what he's doing. You've done a great job listening to a lot of his word today. But what is it that he's asking of you and me in obedience? Have you ever come to Jesus and asked him to be the Lord of your life? If you're here this morning and and you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to come into your life and be Lord of your life, everything else I'm saying to you will, will fall short. But I... I ask you, there is nothing better in your life than making a decision for Jesus. Is it possible that today could be your day to have this food, to have the source of life that would overwhelm you in your heart? It starts with accepting Jesus as your Savior. But, but some of you, it's maybe not a question of have I come to Jesus, am I believing on Jesus? It's will you continue to taste and see that the Lord is good even when you don't understand? Woman at the well, she didn't understand. But she was intrigued, and she pressed forward. The disciples constantly misunderstood, and they didn't get it. But, but some of us say, well, Jesus, you give me understanding, and then I'll give you obedience. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. You obey me, and then I will feed you. In fact, your obedience will be nourishment for your soul. Somebody here today, the Lord is going to put something on your finger about obedience. You love him. You're a Christian. You're a disciple. But he's saying, I want you to obey here in your own life. I want you to obey there in the life of your family. I want you to obey over here in the life of other Christians. Or I want you to obey here in the life of those in the world. I'm calling you to obedience. I don't understand all that, Jesus. Obey, and I will feed you. It will nourish you. Understanding will come later. That may be for someone. Or maybe, maybe you're here this morning. Maybe that Jesus is putting his finger on something. You say, Brady, this sounds good, but I'm just not that thirsty. I'm just not that hungry. And if you're honest, you say, you know, I I want to want to, but I don't want to. I would like to have a hunger and thirst for righteousness, but I'm good. What is it that causes us to be inches away from the bread of life, inches away from the living water, and we say, no thanks? I think it's because we have filled ourselves with other junk food. We've been sustaining ourselves on other things and there's so much crammed into our heart so much crammed into us that that we don't really have a hunger and maybe jesus wants to put his finger on something you could be a christ follower you could even be a disciple but he says hey hey, for you right now may be permissible not beneficial stop gorging on this because it's spoiling your appetite for me Oh, Brady, I I don't like that. I haven't murdered anybody this week. I haven't knowingly cheated anybody this week. I'm a good person. What do you mean? There's something that's spoiling my appetite. I'm not doing bad things. Hey, friend. Scripture talks about a biblical conviction. It may be even something that's good in and of itself, but if it takes a different place than what Jesus wants it to take in your life, then that good becomes bad. There was a period of time in my life when the Lord said for Brady, not for you, It'd be legalism if I said it was for you. He said, Brady, for you watching NFL football on Sunday 
is not going to be a good thing. I was preaching the primary service on a Sunday night gathering, and that would gather my attention, what the Broncos did and didn't do. And so obedience for me in that moment was because what the Lord had whispered to me. Now, is it wrong to watch NFL on Sunday? No. It was for me. Because the Lord said, it's blocking what I want to give to you. Is there any permission in your life that you say, Jesus, I would rather feast on you than anything that is, is going to spoil and rot? Maybe he wants to put something on your heart. Well, let's, let's pray together and we'll be through here soon.